The second reading is from John chapter 6, verses 22 to 59, and it can be found on page 1116 of the Pew Bibles. John chapter 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. 
Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of God. Thank you, Melanie. Now, like every week, it's good to keep your Bibles open to that passage of John chapter 6. Uh, we do work uh, almost verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but because it's a bigger chapter, um, I'll draw your attention to some of these uh, verses and the key idea, but do keep your Bibles open. There is an outline again in the news bulletin that might help you follow the sermon. But once again, let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us all eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that would believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever thought about what is it that we all really need in life? I mean, it's a very broad question, I understand, but what are our fundamental needs? I was confronted by this question this past week, reflecting on this, but also some of the experiences from this past week. On my day off on Monday, Yvonne and myself, we visited our financial planner. Now, our financial planner, he helps us organise my life insurance, my trauma insurance, and just in case this happens, just in case that happens, you need this insurance, you need that insurance. And he showed us this very thick book of all the different cancers and diseases you can get. And in this book, on each page, it lists how much it would, it would cost you to be treated for all these things. And so you can just imagine, this was my day off. It was very uplifting to see my financial planner that day. But it did raise the question of needs in life. What do you need? What do you need to retire? What do you need for your family in case something happens to you? What do you need to leave for your family in case you die? And so he was asking these type of questions. And, and one question which I found very interesting was he asked me, how much do you need to set aside for your funeral? I mean, he, he, he could see, I'm, I'm not that old, but he's asking me about my funeral. How much do you need to die, he asked me. Now, I had no idea. I said, maybe 10000 Can't be that expensive to die. He said, no, try 30000 I'm thinking, 30000 
That's ridiculous. And so Yvonne was there on her phone checking out uh, cemeteries, how much plots of little gravestone might cost. And you de do need that much to die. It is costly. And I was thinking, man, just cremate me. I'll be raised to life again anyway. But you see, going to that financial plan, I highlighted something for us as humans. We have needs. Now, of course, we know that already. But what are, our, what are our fundamental needs to survive? We want to live. We want to survive. That's why we exercise. That's why we try to stay fit. That's why we go to the doctors and take our medication. That's why we even eat and drink so that we can live, so that we would survive. But my financial planner, he was very successful in helping me be uh, aware that I will die. He made me feel like, you know, you're going to die any day. That's why you need this insurance and that insurance. But of course, we don't need a financial planner to tell us of that, do we? We all know we will die one day. It is an obvious fact. But that is why this passage we're looking at today is so important. So, so important. Because what Jesus offers in this passage, in a sense, beats death. What Jesus offers in this passage beats death. You see, the financial planner might be able to help me to die with enough. enough. But what Jesus offers here is our fundamental need to live and to even live eternally. And so I said to this financial planner, you know that I'm a minister, right? Not too far from where you are. You should come and check us out. Come to church. Now, he wasn't very interested, but I'm going to try again next time. Come and hear. You don't need to be so afraid. And so let's have a look at this passage. Firstly, what we see here is an impressive miracle. It was an impressive miracle. This is a miracle that perhaps all of us were aware of, the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it's perhaps more like 10,000 because they are numbers not including women and children. So just imagine that happening. How do you go about feeding 10,000 people? I mean, it was beyond what the disciples could manage. They had no idea what to do. Look at what Philip said. Look at verse 7. Eight months' wages would not be enough to buy bread for each one to have a bite. But then they find a boy with, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now that might sound like something good. But this is not like your nice French baguette and nice fresh salmon. This is your cheap bread for the poor and perhaps some dried fish. But of course you know the miracle, don't you? As easy as that, five small loaves and two fish, Jesus broke bread, gave thanks to God, and it multiplied and multiplied, and they were all completely full. Completely full. So much so that there were even leftovers, 12 baskets full. Now, if you were there amongst the crowd, what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling at this point? Well, you, you, obviously you'll be happy, you'll be pleased. A free feed, how good is that? But here they wanted to make him king by force. Now, Jesus talks about that a bit later. And so it was an impressive miracle. But you see, what are we to make of this miracle? We have heard of this miracle in the past. We've heard it, it's, it's quite spectacular. But what are we to make of it? Well, this miracle was not just for show. 
it had a very important meaning, just like all the other miracles of Jesus. He performed miracles not just for the sake of miracles. And so we saw earlier on, in turning water to wine, it was not just so that they could have a good party, but it was to be a sign, a sign that was to point forward to the heavenly banquet, and Jesus is the true bridegroom. And the healing of the paralytic last week, remember that was not just because of compassion, yes, it is compassionate, but it was also a sign to the one who can give life to one as good as dead. And so this miracle, too, was a sign. It had an important meaning. Now, the wonderful thing about this passage is that we don't need to discover this meaning for ourselves. Jesus, he explains it to us, and he explains it in an extended, in an extended passage. And so we look from verse 25 onwards. When they came looking for Jesus the next day, look at verse 25. They said to him, Rabbi, when do you get here? Now, we, we know, if we've been reading, Jesus walked on water the evening before. But now Jesus confronts them and he exposes them. They had no idea why Jesus performed those miracles. And particularly that one. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, they went looking for Jesus because they had a free feed. And they're thinking, this is wonderful. We had a free feed yesterday. Let's find him today so that we get another free feed out of him. Now, some of us might be thinking here, well, why would you do that? It's just some bread and fish. It's not like this is lobster that Jesus multiplied or caviar or wagyu beef. What's so fascinating about this? Well, it was because it was for survival. That was their staple. That was what they ate. And this is where it's important for us to understand the culture and times. Bread, fish was their staple. They're not after luxury. They're just after survival. And Jesus was giving them survival. A free feed yesterday. Hopefully another free feed today. And more than that, in the ancient world, a high proportion, a high percentage of their daily income was used on food. Even today around the world, I did a little bit of research, in wealthier nations like Australia, we spend about 9.8% of our income on food for survival. We eat, and that includes groceries, eating out, cafes and so forth, which means if we get a free feed, it doesn't really break our bank that much. It's only about 9.8%. It wouldn't mean that much. We've got so much disposable income. And so in wealthier nations like Australia, we've got income to use on technology and cars and insurance. But you see, in poorer countries today, like Nigeria, they spend about 56.4% of their daily income on food, which means more than half of their income is needed for survival. We only spend a small percentage of our income for survival. They spend over half. And so if you get a free feed, it affects your bank balance. It affects what you can save. But now in the ancient world, they will be spending about 70 to 80% of their income on food. And so these people here finding Jesus and getting another free feed means saving 70 to 80% of their daily income. 
And if they could be saving that much each and every day, they'll be far wealthier. That's why they wanted to make Jesus king. But he, Jesus, sees right through that. He exposes them. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point of this miracle. It's not so that you can get a free feed. It's not so that you can get rich. It is a sign of the greater thing that you need for survival. And I offer that. And so what does the sign of the miracle point to? Well, look at verse 27 now. Jesus goes on and says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. That is, you're after bread. I can give you more than bread. You're after survival. I can give you eternal life. Now, if I were to tell you that, that you can work for food that would not spoil, wouldn't you want to work for that? You know, if you had to pick between a bread that lasts one day compared to bread that lasts two weeks, which would you choose? You might go the one that won't spoil, or maybe you just go for the one that lasts one day because the one that lasts two weeks has a lot of preservatives. Or if you were to pick between a car that lasts five years or a car that lasts 20 years, you go to the one that would last longer. And here Jesus is saying to them, food that spoils or food that endures to eternal life, what would you work for? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. And so verse 28, they ask, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? What is this work that God wants me to do so that I can get eternal life? What does God require of me so that I will have eternal life? You see, the way they were thinking, the way the crowd were thinking back then, is really the same way the world thinks today. And perhaps even some of you. You know, we have this idea that if I give, then I can take. If I work, then I can earn. If I be good and behave, then I'll be rewarded by God. If I scratch your back, you'll scratch my back. But what is it that God wants me to do? I still hear people say, you know, if I just live a decent life, if I be good and nice and kind and treat everyone with respect and love, then God will grant me eternal life. What must I do, God, to earn eternal life? And what does Jesus say? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Look at what Jesus said, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so what is the work of God for eternal life? The work of God is, in a sense, no work at all, but to believe. It takes no effort to believe. You're not breaking your sweat to believe in Christ. And to believe just means to trust in to depend on, to lean upon. Just like that, that old wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Nothing in my hands I bring, that is what faith is. And so if you are asking, I just want to do the work of God, 
I just want to do the will of God, well, it is this. The work of God is really no work at all. It is to believe in the Son of Man. You stake your life on his life and you get eternal life. Well, that, now they respond. They hear that and they're a bit confused. They, they go to Jesus. Well, prove it, Jesus. Verse 30. What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? You see, they're thinking, Moses gave us manna from heaven. What can you do? Prove it to us. Well, Jesus just fed the 5,000. But now Jesus, what Jesus does now is he goes one up from Moses. In fact, what Jesus says now is he fulfills what Moses was looking forward to. Moses provided manna from heaven. In fact, it wasn't even his provision. It was God's provision. But Jesus now says, I am the bread from heaven. Not something that God provides, but someone God now provides. And in the Gospel of John so far, we've been seeing this fulfillment idea from the Old Testament. The sacrificial lamb, remember? John the Baptist pointed out, there's the lamb of God. He's the true lamb. The temple building, destroy this, I'll raise it up in three days. Jesus, I'm the true temple of God. He's the true bridegroom, he's the true priest, he's the true king. And now they want proof. Well, Jesus says, the proof is me. I'm the proof. I'm the bread from heaven. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so you need bread to survive. You need water. You need bread. That is your staple. Well, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Not something you eat but someone you believe in. Believe in me and you will have your fill. Believe and you'll be satisfied at your very core and you'll get eternal life. Now, why does this work? Why is it that Jesus can say such a thing and claim such a thing? Well, look at verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at a son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day believe in him you get eternal life what is the work of God no work at all believe in him and you get eternal life nothing in my hands I bring believe in him and you get eternal life and Jesus promises here I'll raise him up at the last day now without that promise from Jesus without that promise of the resurrection Eternal life just doesn't make sense. Without that promise from Jesus, Christianity, in a sense, ceased to make any sense. Life ceased to make any sense at all. If there's no resurrection promise from Jesus like that, when one day all things will be made right by God in heaven, it, it won't make any sense of life, of any purpose in life. Why endure through suffering, and it's hard and it's difficult, it's just pointless if there is no resurrection. Why bear with injustice? Why not just take out revenge if there's no resurrection? Why carry the cross? Just throw it off. But because Jesus here promises, I will raise him up at the last day, we know that this life is not all there is. Which means 
It got me reflecting with my financial plan. However much I spend on the funeral, it doesn't really matter. Just don't spend too much. There is the resurrection day to look forward to. And so how did they receive that? Well, this was an extraordinary claim and offer. But they grumbled, just like they did in the desert. Look at verse 43. Jesus says now, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, those who come to Jesus, those who believe in Jesus, it's not ultimately our choice. It is God's choice. Those whom God has drawn to Christ. Just like what we saw in in the previous week, John chapter 3, to be born again. You don't have a choice in that. It is the work of the Spirit. Which means then that getting eternal life, having life forever with God in heaven, it is entirely, completely, utterly, absolutely a gift. It is a free gift from God. It is grace from beginning to end. Nothing in my hands I bring. I bring nothing, and God gives everything. But now Jesus, he develops the metaphor a bit further. He's the bread of life, but now he calls this bread his flesh. Do you notice that? It's a very strange idea. Bread now, but yet flesh. But now he's even inviting them to eat him. Look at verse 51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I mean, if you were a Jewish person hearing that, eating flesh and drinking blood, not only would you be confused, you will be offended. This is not right. You're not allowed to drink blood. But what did Jesus mean? I mean, verse 52, they ask, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so what did Jesus do? How did he explain himself here? Well, in a sense, he didn't explain himself. He just made it even more explicit. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is the only way you can have life. And so look at verses 53 to 56. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever drinks, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So what did Jesus mean? Well, what Jesus is doing here is really answering the why question. Why is it that coming to him means not going hungry? Why is it that believing in him means eternal life? Why is it that he is the bread of life? Well, the principle is quite simple. Try to understand it this way. His flesh and blood must be given to the world for there to be life. Jesus is hinting at something here. His flesh and blood must be given to the world 
for there to be life. Now, what do you think Jesus is alluding to there? It is to his death. We've been hearing it each week in the Gospel of John. It is to his death, his violent death. He dies so that we live. And it really is a simple principle of all of life. I mean, we can only live and survive if something else dies. It's a principle of life, isn't it? We, we live here in the suburbs and not on farms, and so we don't really see death much at all. But some of you who grew up on farms, you see death daily. Things die so that we would live. Things die so that we could eat and live. Now, this past week, I wanted to see how well one of my sons understood where food came from. How is it that he can live now and survive? And so I asked my youngest, Ethan, do you know where chickens come from? He said, Costco. Well, well, that's true, isn't it? That's where we get our meat and veg and fruit from. You go to the supermarket and it's all there. It's very sanitised and clean. There's no killing, no slaughtering. But then I asked him again, well, do you know where meat comes from? And then he was picking up on this. He said, oh, do you, are you talking about the animals? Well, he said, chicken comes from chicken, beef from cow, pork from pigs. But then I asked him, well, what had to happen to them for us to buy them and eat it? And now he was following. Well, he said, they had to be killed. And I said, well, who does that? The farmers. You see, something had to die for us to live it's the principle of life, and that was what Jesus was speaking of. I heard a story recently from someone from our church. They had ducks. The ducks stopped laying eggs. Now they don't have any ducks because they became roast ducks. You see, something dies so that we can eat and live. And even if you're vegetarian, you know, you might think there's no slaughtering in that. Well, on one level you're missing out, but on another... Lettuce had to die, tomato had to die, potato and cucumber had to die so that you could live. And Jesus is saying that here, unless I die, unless I offer up my flesh and blood, unless I die, you will die. And unless I bear your guilt, your shame, your disgrace, your crimes, your sins, unless I die, you will die. But if you eat me, if you drink of me, that is to believe in me, you will live. It's a metaphor. To eat and to drink is to believe. It's just like how we use this type of metaphor. We speak of devouring books or chewing over an issue or swallowing up stories. To eat and drink of Jesus is simply to believe in him. And so verse 58, we see this. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. This is our fundamental need, to live. And the only way we can live forever is to feed on Christ, is to come to him, to look upon him, and to believe in him. He died so that we can live. And so our passage today, the miracle was impressive. The meaning was important. It's about eternal life. 
It affects all of us. It's relevant to all of us. And of course, the message is inescapable. In all of human history, in all our technological advances, in all our education and learning, in all our endeavours and findings and, and exploration and searching, there is only one who can meet us at our very core. There is only one who can meet our every need, meet us at our heart of hearts. There is only one who can grant us life forever with God. The message is for all of us, and it is an inescapable message. And so what will you do with this? We've been hearing this week in, week out. The message of John is clear. You see, Christianity is simple, very simple. Jesus grants eternal life. You believe in him and you get it. It is as simple as that. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And we never move on from Jesus. For those of us who have been Christians for decades, we never move on from this Jesus. We never graduate from Jesus. And that's why each week in the Gospel of John, the message is the same. Believe in him and you'll have eternal life. It is so simple, but yet at the same time it is so costly. So costly to him. Either he dies or you die. Either he dies for us or we will die. Now my financial planner, he did a great job in bringing to my attention that I will die. We all know that. I can die from all these diseases and cancers which will cost a lot. Now I can imagine that if I was not a Christian, that would have made me so anxious, so fearful of death. But you see, I am a Christian just like many of you. There is nothing to fear even in death. On a pastoral visit this past week, one of you shared with me, I don't fear death, it's okay. It is okay for us who are Christians. You see, for us who are Christians, life is always different because we see death differently. If Christ is the bread of life who grants me life, what is there to fear in death? Sickness, persecution, cancer, even death. Death never gets the last word with us because Jesus is the bread of life. I mean, we see this from the experiences of Christians before us. We see this from the experiences of Christians amongst us here. But one story I'd like to share with you as I finish. It's a story of Lady Jane Grey. Do you know of her? She was Queen of England for only nine days. She was a Christian, a Protestant Christian. It was during the Protestant Reformation. After she was de deposed from the throne, she was trialed and executed. But she was one who held, committed to Christ, even to the end, committed to her Christian faith. In prison, Queen Mary sent her own chaplain to her to try to persuade her to denounce the Protestant faith, trust in Christ alone, to, to turn back to Roman Catholicism. Well, she was very wise. She dismantled his arguments, the arguments of that chaplain. But what was even more impressive 
was what she wrote, knowing that she would die. She wrote this to her sister Catherine. She knew that she was going to head to the scaffold, and she went to the scaffolding at only 16 years of age. I just can't imagine that. At 16 years, this was her faith. She said, Live to die, that by death you may enter into eternal life, and then enjoy the life that Christ has gained for you by his death. Don't think that just because you are now young, your life will be long, because young and old die as God wills. Deny the world, defy the devil, despise the flesh, and delight yourself only in the Lord. Repent of your sins, and yet don't despair. Be strong in faith, and yet don't presume. With St. Paul, desire to die and to be with Christ, with whom, even in death, there is life. She wrote that at 16 years of age. I remember when I was 16, nowhere near that level of faith. But why was it that she was able to write with such convictions, to die with such confidence? Only a teenager. Well, she could write such words because she knew her fundamental needs are already met in Christ. She understood this passage, didn't she? Verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, anyone, young, old, Man, woman, child, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. And so how will you live? You've heard it week in, week out. Believe in him, you have eternal life. How will you live? Well, for us, we believe in him. We stay in him. Isn't that all we really need in life? It is him. Amen. Let's pray.